Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data with the 2020 Getting Over Awards, aka the Meaties. That's right, the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is here for the very first time to dole out our awards. And isn't it appropriate that for 2020 this year, we have 20 awards to break down today over the course of the show. I'm so excited to bring all of these to you. I appreciate all of you listeners who voted in these awards and made up the listener vote, which is much appreciated. Uh, Chris Vanini, my co-host on all of our WWE episodes and some AEW episodes as well, joins me today to break them all down. Chris, how is everything going? Are you excited for the inaugural meetings? I'm excited. Everybody's excited. This is the this is the big award show of the year everybody's been waiting for. Uh, the, the, the anticipation has been palpable. And now we're here, finally, after a long year, after a long, strange year of pro wrestling. Uh, it's time to uh, reach the, the climax of the year here with this award show. You know, you can take your Sammies, you can take your Slammies, you can turn those son bitches sideways, stick them straight up your candy asses, because the only award show that matters in the world of professional wrestling is the Getting Over Awards, aka the Meaties, and we are getting to those momentarily. A couple quick notes before we get going. First, follow this show on Twitter, at Getting Overcast. We have seen the follower count grow significantly over the last couple of weeks as we finish up 2020, and I want it to keep growing. So please, if you have a Twitter account, follow us at Getting Overcast. If you don't have a Twitter account, get a Twitter account. They're free. Follow us at Getting Overcast. Be a part of our intimate universe on the internet. Also, head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review for the show. My goal, as I mentioned earlier, was to hit 300 reviews before the end of the year. We got there. We hit 300. I greatly appreciate it from everyone. But now we're going to have a new goal of 500 that we want to hit some point in early 2021. We're going to kind of keep that off to the side a little bit. For now, though, you can help us get towards that number, dropping a five-star review, letting us know how much you love the show, and telling your friends about your favorite professional wrestling podcast. Now, this and, and, is... And one other thing, uh, I'll just say this. This podcast, you know, we are uh, a lot of podcasts you might listen to at this time of year. They might be taking the holidays off. They might be giving you the best of. Recap. Right. We're going we're going strong. We're yeah. going live. We're giving you the, 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 the live reactions and we're throwing the award shows on top of it. We greatly appreciate everybody who's given us those ratings and who has listened to us throughout the year. We see them all. We thank you for yeah. sticking with us. Getting over is adding content in the holiday season, not taking away. Look, we had a great year of interviews on this show. I mean, Keith Lee, Renee Paquette, Drew McIntyre, Alistair Black, Karrion Cross. I could name on and on and on. So we could have done, the Silver King could have done an interview recap show for you. He could have packed it in and said, hey, you know what? Holiday season, Christmas. Now we're not going to do anything. We're going to take a couple days off. No, extra episodes. That's what we're doing here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And look, this is it, folks. This is the Getting Over Awards, the inaugural meaties. And I think, Chris, it's time to get right into them. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 2020 Getting Over Awards.
You know, I love this name. I really think it's, it's an underrated. Yeah. It bangs. Like, it totally bangs. Uh, it crescendos. It keeps going on and on. And, and Jim Johnson nailed this theme. I use it for the award shows that I've done across all of our different podcasts, uh, primarily because it's the most Hollywood sounding, right? It, it, there's nothing really that fits. And, and probably if I, if I went through, you know, a couple dozen themes, maybe I could find something that worked slightly better. But, man, this thing just... It always hits every single time you hear a play, and it's going to stop pretty soon here. But, I mean, you know it keeps going. It hits that second gear. Goldust had that long entrance, so you could sit there, appreciate, and enjoy it. But I think it's a great way to start the 2020 Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. the Meaties. So, as I said, we have 20 awards to break down on this show. We're going to try to go through them as rapidly as possible. Long-term listeners of mine know the way I normally do award shows. I talk about the awards, and then when I announce the winner, I play a clip of them. Well, a couple things happened here. Number one, I felt, and you guys know I'm always candid. I just tell you exactly like it is. I felt with 20 awards this year, it would be pretty cumbersome to put that together, especially in the limited time frame that we had due to our schedules, due to everything that has been going on. So there's not going to be as many sound clips. Really, there's not going to be many at all. I mean, there's going to be very few of them. Uh, we're just going to go through the awards. You guys got to vote for the first time for an award show that I've been a part of. A ton of you voted in the hundreds. I, I greatly appreciate that. That means the fans vote truly counted. Like it, it has just as much weight as my vote, as Chris's vote. Uh, and we're going to go ahead and break down these awards right now for you. Uh, some of them were unanimous. Many of them were not. Many of them were extremely close. So there's going to be some, some surprises. I was surprised by a few of the choices. I was surprised how well certain brands did compared to other brands. And yeah, I just think that this is going to be an extremely interesting show. So let's get to it with the first meaty of the year, 2020 broadcaster of the year. And our finalists, we had four of them. Samoa Joe, Wade Barrett, Tony Schiavone, and Mauro Ranallo. And the winner is Samoa Joe, unanimously the first place vote for broadcaster of the year. Obviously, the color commentary ace on Monday Night Raw right now. I, I don't think there has truly been anyone who has stepped into a role or, or been in their individual role who's been more impressive. I mean, Tony Schiavone for me, Chris, does a great job and he was our second place finisher. Uh, on Dynamite. In fact, no one, he didn't get a first place vote. I was the only person to give Tony Schiavone a second place vote. And I, I simply thought that he has really carried that show. I do think Excalibur does a really good job over there. But for me, Tony Schiavone is the reason that they work together as a trio. But when you go over to Raw Commentary, you think about, and we're going back to Samoa Joe here, which who won this award, who's really who we, sh we should be talking about. Uh, with Samoa Joe, you know, Tom Phillips does a good job. He is kind of starting to lean into Michael Cole territory in that, you know, he's doing what WWE wants him to do. And and therefore, you, you're at a disadvantage. It, it's very difficult to win an award like this or or stand out from the pack when you're kind of doing what everyone else does. Everyone else in this case being Michael Cole. You know, I just think Samoa Joe, out of all four brands, the four major brands we talk about on the show, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW, he stands out the most individually. He brings a realism. He brings a sense of comedy. And 
You just like hearing him on your screen because he's truly an authority on the subject because you know he's real. So yeah. Samoa Joe, no surprise to me on this one, Chris, our broadcaster of the year. Yeah, no, I mean, you laid it out. He 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 has that authenticity as a guy who was recently in the ring. He knows he he knows the moves. He knows everything. But but he's got the passion and it feels real. It doesn't feel uh, forced reaction. The, the the things he says, it feels like he's really into it. And, and I, I mentioned this last couple of weeks about the the Randy Orton fiend stuff when people get, are getting set on fire. I haven't I haven't thought commentary's done a good job, but Samojo has. He he's the one who's had those reactions that make it feel real, and that 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 adds a lot to a wrestling show. So I, I had Wade Barrett second, Tony Schiavone third. It was it was really tough call after Samojo, who like I said was unanimous, but uh, I think it was a good selection uh, by everybody. Yeah, I mean I had Schiavone second, I had Mauro Ronaldo third, and Mauro, you know. There's a good chance he would have been first place if he was there the entire year, but he yeah. wasn't. So it's it's tough for me to give him that nod, even though I mean, you guys, you guys all know I think he's the best play by play man in combat sports, really across boxing, MMA, or wrestling. I think Morrow's the guy. But Samoa Joe, just consistency week to week, all year long. Um, it's a great transition for him. I do want him to wrestle again, and I, I hope there are still plans for that to happen. But if he never did, he is going to have a long, long career in that commentary chair. And look, he also gave us this gem. And that's going to be on this podcast forever, as long as it exists. So congratulations to Samoa Joe for that first award. Now let's move on to our second award of the evening. Let's make believe it's night because award shows are always at night. The second award, the second award of the evening smack talker of the year. Our finalists, Roman Reigns, Pat, McAfee and Eddie Kingston. And our winner is. It is Eddie Kingston out of AEW. And Chris, to me, this is a well-deserved award. You and I both voted him first place. Why don't you tell me why you gave him that nod? So I, I, so I didn't follow a lot of independent wrestling. I didn't know much about Eddie Kingston until he showed up on NWA uh, a little bit ago. Yes, uh, yes. And, and he was instantly captivating. And and then when he came over to AEW, it was just uh, incredibly exciting. Nobody, nobody sounds more real on the mic than him. And and the stuff he went through with Moxley, talking about you know his promises to his mom and everything he went to he just he just has that on on another level from everybody else uh he obviously was not there the entire year came in later but just made an instant impact now he's kind of got a stable and everything over there in AEW he was uh really a revelation on the mic at, at a place with AEW they have a lot of good people on the mic there but he he really stood out and as someone who didn't really know him until recently uh i i find him absolutely captivating I mean, you nailed it there. So Eddie Kingston is someone who I had heard of and probably seen a match or two before he came to AEW, but I, and in NWA, as you noted, I didn't really ever see him though in an extensive setting until NWA. And then once he made that AEW appearance, I mean, his first promo was so good it got him signed. Yeah. Then he continued being so good that he got a world title match at a pay per view. And they only have four pay-per-views a year. And one of them they gave to Eddie Kingston. So you have to just think about what his mouth and what his brain really accomplished for him this year. Now, the fans had Pat McAfee number one, and I get it, right? Pat was great on the mic. 
there was a bit of an NXT lean to our awards, just to kind of give a heads up. Uh, so Pat getting that nod, not a surprise. Pat was really good. I he voted was. him. Th- I voted him third. I did have Roman Reigns in that second spot. Me too. Just be just because Roman's mic work is what really pushed him over the top in his gimmick change to Tribal Chief. You know, all year we were talking Edge. We were talking Randy Orton. I think for body of work, if you if this was a year, if this was a, an award where we said promo to promo, who never dipped all year long, it probably would have been Randy Orton. Edge didn't do enough to kind of get this spot. But Eddie Kingston's on average almost, if you were grading them, was like a letter grade higher than Orton's, right? Like Orton had a lot of killers, especially in the Edge feud. But then, you know, they dropped off. That doesn't mean they were bad. They were still Bs and B pluses, but they weren't always in the A. Eddie Kingston, most of the time he speaks, it's an A. And then here and there, you got to be here and there. Uh, so that's kind of why I had him number one. Just what his mouth accomplished for him in 2020, I don't think can be denied. Uh, I had Pat McAfee, you know, uh, third in my voting. And you had MJF third. Here's my thing with MJF real briefly, then we'll get going. Great on the mic, right? When he sets himself up and he has, he's rolling, you could argue that he's, there's none better than him. He has a lot of dud promos. And I think those have to factor in. That's why I didn't vote for him at all. I, I think with MJF, he, he did have some, he had some really high promos, like the, the I think the first election one he did. The first election. That whole one. campaign thing. He had some really good ones, some really yeah. not good ones. But I, I think he's also been really good. Um, Smack talking in the ring to just like Roman. Roman was really, sure. really good at that in the ring. And, and MJF was uh, as well. I, I had to go back and look because I, I, I had to think back to the calendar. All right. Wh- where did MJF kind of make his rise? I was trying to remember if it was late 2019 or early 2020. So once once I went back and saw, you know, where MJF started the year, that's why I gave him the third place vote. But Pat McAfee was great, too. I mean, obviously, for a lot of reasons, it, this was a really tough call. This might have been the deepest field, honestly, of every award. It, it was, you know what? And there were a, there was better mic work in 2020 than we've had in a long time. And yeah. a lot of that is due to AEW existing. Uh, again, Eddie Kingston, MJF, we talked about. John Moxley, people thought should, you know, I mean, he was nominated. He didn't get a lot of votes, but Moxley was nominated as well. So you had three guys just there. You could argue the best promo of the year for AEW was actually done by Kenny Omega. So... You know, there, there's a lot of promo talent there. I think WWE has allowed some of its performers to step up their game individually. Bailey, I don't even think she got nominated. Maybe that was an oversight because she was really good on the mic this year. So, you know, there's just, it, you're right. It was a very, very deep award. Let's keep it going with the 2020 TV special event of the year. And like our first award, we actually have four finalists among our nominees. We have the SmackDown Christmas special. NXT Great American Bash, AEW Winter is Coming, and NXT Halloween Havoc. And the winner is NXT Halloween Havoc is your TV special of the year. Now, this is interesting because Chris doesn't really watch NXT. Let's be honest. He'll watch really good matches. If I tell him he needs to watch something, he'll watch it. He's not a huge NXT viewer. So he didn't have them on his ballot yet. I didn't. Yet the Silver King had NXT Halloween Havoc first and the fans 
the listeners, had NXT Halloween Havoc first. And why did we have that? Because it was the best TV special <laughs> of the year. The reason it was so good and the reason it deserves this award is they mixed in a combination of great wrestling with a great setting. They turned that, I forget if that was still in full sale or if it was in the Capitol Wrestling Center. I think it was in the Capitol Wrestling Center. But either way, they they designed the entire set and had different thematic elements around it. The down point of it was still really interesting. It was a cinematic Dexter Loomis Cameron Grimes match. Like I said, the wrestling was good, but they mixed the the real wrestling that you want to see with all the campy elements of Halloween and the thematic former WCW pay-per-view. And it all came together just for this really, really fun two hours of television. So I think that's why Halloween Havoc came out on top. Uh, second place was AEW Winter is Coming. That is what you voted first place. I'll let you talk about that in a second. And then tied for third were the SmackDown Christmas special, which really exceeded expectations in every possible way, and NXT Great American Bash, which actually, if you think about it from a wrestling standpoint, in my opinion, probably was the best show. I gave Havoc the nod for all those additional elements. It was really fun and entertaining. NXT Great American Bash was the best wrestling television special. The fans voted it second place. The Silver King voted it second place. But Chris, you really enjoyed Winter is Coming. So why don't you tell me why that got your vote? Yeah, I, I mean, it was it was a it was kind of the big show they'd been building up for a while. Obviously, the Sting return was a big part of it. You had uh, Kenny Omega stuff happened as well. So I, I thought it was a good kind of culmination of something that honestly, I didn't know what to expect that they were doing all those um, Game of Thrones you know, graphics and stuff. And it just was like weird because like Game of Thrones is very last year, even several years ago. I thought that of. was very, I thought it was a very strange naming. Yeah. Uh, for the show. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 but, but then for that reveal to be Sting, I thought it was a good payoff. Um, so it, it was, it was, it was one of the shows I had the most enjoyment watching. Like I said, I don't watch a ton of NXT. I try to, I, I usually watch the takeovers watching the, 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 in week stuff is tough because if I'm watching wrestling on Wednesday, it's it's AEW. So I, I had I had um I had Fighter Fest two and Bash at the Beach three, uh, but I understand I was coming from a limited uh, uh, perspective there. But but obviously a lot of people like Winter is coming as well. So glad I was on the same page with everybody else there. Yeah, Winter is coming did get uh, third place votes. So you know it's it certainly was not um, left out there just on an island with you. And it was a very good show. I actually did think it was. AEW's best special, but I also kind of went back and thought about it and was like, well, what was super, super special about it? It was Sting coming back and it wasn't really a match, like, it, it, you, know, it, yeah. I, you know, so I, I just, and he didn't do anything and he still hasn't done anything by the way. And then you got the, the title change and, and Don Callis and all that stuff at the end. So I thought it was a very, very impactful show. That's true. Where, where, where a lot of things happened in that show that, that really mattered. I guess that's a good point. That is a good point. So let's move from TV special to the 2020 pay-per-view of the year. And our three finalists are AEW Revolution, NXT TakeOver Portland, and the WWE Royal Rumble. And your winner is the WWE Royal Rumble. Now, this one shocked me. 
completely out of every award that we did. The fan vote drove this award. You and I both had the Royal Rumble in third place. The fans, our listeners, the Getting Over Universe had it in first. And Chris, the margin was insane. Like it was something like 80% of respondents chose the Royal Rumble. I was shocked. And I don't know if that's simply because most of our audience watches WWE and then they split between NXT and AEW. Maybe they're because there were so many AEW and NXT events listed, the vote got split between those. But even so, even if you added all of them together, all six of them, it still wouldn't have come to the total of the Royal Rumble. So let's start with the fans here. The Royal Rumble got the first place vote. NXT TakeOver 31 got the second place vote. And NXT TakeOver War Games got the third place vote. What's shocking to me, <laughs> what's shocking to me, I picked the TakeOver for my first place. I didn't pick either of those two. I picked NXT TakeOver Portland, which I thought was easily the best show of the year. Like straight up any brand. I thought it was easily uh, TakeOver Portland. I had TakeOver War Games second. And yes, I did choose the WWE Royal Rumble third. Now, Chris had Revolution first, Double or Nothing second, and he also had the Royal Rumble third. So let's talk about the winner, the Royal Rumble. I think it was mostly based on this fact. It was arguably the greatest Royal Rumble match from the men's side in history. Mm -hmm. Now, there will be people who disagree. They like the one where Ric Flair won the title, or they like the 1995 Royal Rumble with Shawn Michaels and the British Bulldog starting 1-2, or, you know, any one where there's a tie at the end. There's all different Royal Rumbles that people like. This one, to me, was the best, not because of the finish, although the finish was good, with Drew McIntyre beating Roman Reigns in the final two, but they booked it so well, person to person. You not only had the return of Edge, And the return of MVP, who you and I probably pop for a little bit more than other people. But you got two good returns, even though there weren't as many as we normally want. You had Brock Lesnar dominating. You had Brock's moment with Keith Lee and like the words he mouthed when Keith Lee was walking to the ring. His just domination of everyone. And then you got the combination elimination of Lesnar with primarily Ricochet and Drew McIntyre factoring into it. McIntyre going on a run. And then you get to the final two and you're like, oh, Roman, of course, Roman's going to win. Like, it's always that. And then it's not. And they swerve you at the end and Drew McIntyre wins. So I think the Royal Rumble match itself was a big reason why the 2020 Royal Rumble won this award. But we would be remiss without really talking about the rest of that card because it was top to bottom a really damn good show. I mean, on that show, you also had... Becky Lynch and Asuka, which was a great match. The Fiend and Daniel Bryan, which was a great match. The Women's Royal Rumble was pretty good with Charlotte Flair and Shayna Baszler. And the Roman Reigns-King Corbin match, if memory serves, was was pretty good as well. And then I think on the kickoff show or or open, you had Sheamus and Chad Gable, which was like the culmination of that feud. So a lot of things on that show hit, but that Men's Royal Rumble match, which they put in the main event of, of the Royal Rumble, I think that won it this award. Yeah, it, it, that match told a story, and and that's hard to do in a Royal Rumble match. And and it it, it also gave us great moments like Keith Lee and Brock Lesnar going face to face, and uh, a lot of guys who we hadn't seen go up against uh, Lesnar. You had Kofi Kingston uh, a moment try to get his time back uh, uh, when when the New Day was in there. So yeah, it was just really fun. And one thing about all the 
when when thinking about best show, and this also comes in later when I'm thinking about best match, the the presence of a crowd, I think, really makes uh, a difference. That was that was one reason I had Revolution number one, I had Royal Rumble number two. It just it it um, there's just obviously a different energy when there's an actual crowd, and so comparing shows, comparing matches this year was uh, a little bit tough at times, and I think I probably and, and maybe others did too, kind of weigh the way you think about a show was was those two months where we actually did have a crowd. That's a really good point. It is. Uh, the crowd definitely factored in, and the crowd was hot for that show. And for NXT TakeOver Portland, my first place vote, Yep, which may well be why I had it in that spot. That, that I could definitely see that. So anyway, 2020 Royal Rumble is our pay-per-view of the year. And that match, the, the 2020 Royal Rumble, was nominated for match of the year. I mean, it got a votes. It got a lot of votes, actually. So that is part of why that was such a great pay-per-view. Moving on to the 2020 brand of the year. This one is very straightforward. We basically had five, uh, but only four got votes. NXT, SmackDown, AEW, and Raw. NJPW was there. No one voted for it. I did think it was a down year for NJPW, so not a huge surprise. But our winner of 2020 brand of the year is... WWE SmackDown mm. wins our brand of the year, which again, another surprise for me. But as you all know, those who participated in our voting, Chris and myself, we do rank choice voting for these awards. And we do it for a reason, because we don't want me, for example, to just vote something first place, no one else vote, all those votes be split, and then my vote carry. It's a reason why people think ranked choice voting is better. It's because you get a consensus. And that's what happened here. So the fans, the listeners, and the Silver King, we both voted for NXT as brand of the year. Chris, you voted for AEW as brand of the year. And I should mention that the fans and, and myself voted that third. So it, it received votes across the board. But all of us voted SmackDown second place for brand of the year. And therefore, consistency carries. NXT, AEW tied for second. But SmackDown is our brand of the year. And I don't know that I would have predicted that ahead of WrestleMania because I think Raw and SmackDown were both kind of struggling, but Raw was the better show, at least in my opinion, until Paul Heyman was pulled off. Once Paul got pulled off, SmackDown, and, and this was not a reaction to that, it's just simultaneously with that, SmackDown started improving. And then SmackDown got Roman Reigns. And I think once they got Roman and they, especially during the time period where Bailey and Sasha were still teaming for a little bit, but they were then splintering off and they got into the Hell in a Cell match and they started working through that feud. That thing was hitting on all cylinders and really starting in the summer all the way through the end of the year. So the final, at least five months of the year, maybe six months of the year, Chris, I thought SmackDown week to week was indeed the best show on television. I, I thought NXT over the course of the year was better. And you probably thought AEW was, but week to week over those last six months, I can't really point out a SmackDown that I watched and I said that was not good. Whereas I can definitely say that about NXT and I can definitely say that about AEW. Yeah, SmackDown really the second half of the year, I think definitely carried it. I, I had SmackDown second. So, I mean, we, we all really Love liked it. It. Yeah. it. it had it had the best WWE stories of the year. It had... Sasha Bailey for a long time it had and then it, that immediately transitioned into whatever Roman Reigns was doing so it always had 
what was arguably the the hottest storyline in wrestling uh, for for the last basically from the summer on. So uh, yeah, SmackDown is just again very consistent. Uh, they know it's a two hour show. And another thing about SmackDown is that they they put a lot of big matches on SmackDown as opposed to the following pay per view intercontinental championship matches, tag team championship matches yep. in main events of shows. So they treated SmackDown like it was a big deal. And I, I think that paid off and, and was evident in the voting. We had a great a bunch of great women's matches. We had the run of intercontinental title matches. As you mentioned, for a while, they weren't even on pay-per-views. Yep. They were putting AJ Styles in the main event. And you're saying, hey, that's what you're going to get on SmackDown. And it paid off because guess what? It won 2020 brand of the year here and the getting over awards, a.k.a. the meaties. Okay, a couple more awards left. I shouldn't say a couple, plenty more awards <laughs> left. And we're getting into some unanimous votes here coming up. So get prepared. <laughs> Next up, a very special award in this universe that is getting over. It is 0.0. Zero. Point zero. zero. Zero, Mr. Blutarski. The 0.0 moment of the year. And we left this category wide to include matches, angles, storylines, gimmicks, whatever you wanted. As it turns out, we had four finalists. And they are probably the correct four finalists. But there's a lot of really bad stuff that happened in 2020 in the world of professional wrestling. Our four finalists. Matt Hardy's injury at All Out, the match, the entire situation with that, how it transpired afterward. Retribution, full stop, the entire gimmick, the entire group. The freak Lars Sullivan, not just him, but the return, the fact that he's back on television. And Goldberg and Fiend, the feud, you know, and culminating in the title match at WWE Super Showdown Blood Money in the Sand. Those are your finalists. And the winner, I guess, the winner, <laughs> uh, the winner of this award is Goldberg and the Fiend at WWE Super Showdown. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. This was a unanimous vote. And Chris, it's really easy to understand why. Let's put aside for a moment that the match was a piece of shit because it was, okay? It was. The idea that you could be building towards the fiend Bray Wyatt against Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, given their history, the backstory, knowing what you can reach into for that storyline. You have that on the table and you're ready to do it. You're able to, you're able to do it. You're right there. You're, it's in your freaking grasp. And you decide, you know what? This unstoppable monster who can't be beaten, we're just going to have Goldberg come in, spear his ass and win. And we're doing it so that Goldberg, instead of the Fiend, can just drop the title to Roman Reigns again at WrestleMania. Reigns, by the way, who ends up challenging Goldberg, and this is taking it a little bit forward, without any reason, just saying, I'm Roman Reigns, I want a title match. It was a total piece of shit. It was poorly conceived, it was poorly booked, and it was booked at the sacrificial. I don't think that's a real word, but it, it was built while sacrificing something that otherwise could have been good. So it wasn't just bad, but it was bad while stamping down into the ground something that fans wanted and would have enjoyed. 
Screw you, Vince McMahon, for booking Goldberg Fiend. Screw anyone who thinks it wasn't the worst moment. Apparently, almost everyone does since it was the unanimous vote here. And you know what? Screw Goldberg for going along with it as well. I don't know. I don't have any animosity for him, but I'm just saying it as well. Worst moment of the year, burn in hell. After 2020, I never want to think about it again. Yeah. See, the thing is like, I like Goldberg. A lot of people don't, and I get why. And I, I think a big problem is the way he's booked. And it, it, it's it's stuff like that. And and they had that WWE Untold a couple weeks ago on Goldberg's show. I saw it. I watched it a couple it, nights ago. Yeah, it was pretty good. And and like y- you can see why Goldberg is like was, you know, a special attraction. And I think there are ways you can use him. Having him bury your your up and coming top heel, it was just completely idiotic. You throw on top of it that it was a blood money in the sand, and we all know how we feel about all those things that are coming along. Just just an absolute disaster from the conception, from the idea, from the execution. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I think we're far enough now where a lot of, at least in kayfabe, we've kind of put it in the rear view and basically pretend it didn't happen because, you know, Strowman took the title off him, then, then Fiend got the title back, so we're kind of retconning that. But now you see there's some stuff that, oh, Goldberg talking about possibly fighting Roman Reigns. I've seen him say stuff like that and just like, ah, I, I don't know. Like, I like the idea of Goldberg, but they just keep putting him in these situations where it's not helping anybody at all. So I, I kind of wanted just to stay away. And, and I've pushed Goldberg fiend out of my mind because it was just horrific. I don't have any true animosity towards him, but you're right. It's the booking. And there's two times recently where WWE's taken a title off of current talent to put it on a legend where it's made sense. The first was The Rock for obvious reasons, because he was going against Cena and you wanted to have that. And that's not even recent, but I mean, I didn't uh, like that, but yeah, but, but I got it. I understood. And The Rock holding a WWE title's great press. I mean, Goldberg, people know his name, but The Rock is the number one movie star in the world. Yeah. So him being WWE champion. I'm okay with it. I'm never going to argue, okay? Um, And then Goldberg, I didn't love it, but Goldberg taking the title and then facing Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania with the title on the line, having beaten Brock, it was just an interesting dynamic, although it did sacrifice a potential Kevin Owens match against Chris Jericho for the title that we probably should have gotten instead. But those two were at least somewhat understanding and acceptable. The problem that WWE and Vince McMahon continuously have is they think, or he thinks, when you bring these legends back, namely now Goldberg and Lesnar, they need to be champion. They don't. The reason why they're legends is because they have name value on their own. You don't need to tie up a title, keep it off television, and and basically handicap the storylines of your main eventers by injecting someone into it. Brock Lesnar and Goldberg can be in main event matches, and I don't think Goldberg really should be anymore. Lesnar clearly is still capable, but they can be in main event style matches or very important matches without being champion or without contending for the championship. So just stop it already. You don't need to do it. If you ever bring Goldberg back, I mean, there's freaking talk of this guy coming back to challenge Roman Reigns at WrestleMania this year. I don't want it. You know why? Not because I think he's going to win the title because he wouldn't. It would be just someone for Reigns well, to beat. He might. And, no, no, he wouldn't. And, and and I get that it'd be, it would be playing into last year and Reigns, quote unquote, ducking him. I think it would be a dumb storyline, just dumbass shit. But 
you're also, by putting Goldberg in that spot, keeping down someone else, whether it's a veteran like Daniel Bryan, or whether it's an up-and-comer like a Big E, or a Jey Uso, or anyone else who would make sense in that position, you're not allowing them that spot because you're having Goldberg contend for again for a title. So hopefully it doesn't happen. Again, this is not really animosity towards Goldberg, but the way they use him is criminal. And what they did with Goldberg and The Fiend, I want this to be the last time we talk about it. F 2020 as a whole, F them for doing this. It was a total piece of shit. And by the way, this stood out as a piece of shit on the same show that had Brock Lesnar and Ricochet in like a five second match that absolutely, and I don't use this word lightly, buried Ricochet. So that was terrible. That pay-per-view, we didn't do this award maybe next year, was the worst pay-per-view of the entire year. It was the worst event of the year. Any brand, any show, any company. I want to forget it ever happened. So that's it. 0.0. You know what? We're going to go one last. 0.0. Goldberg and The Fiend. I just got three words left for you. You can yourself too. All right. Well, it wasn't three words. But that was know. a lot more than three words. Yeah. yeah well, I, th- I thought it was just the GFY <laughs> part. I didn't. I forgot it was extra. But okay. Never mind. We're keep. We're going. We're moving on. We go from the worst to the best. The 2020 storyline or angle of the year. Our three finalists: Hangman Page battling his demons, alcoholism, and depression; Bailey dose straps and two belts, Banks; and Roman Reigns becoming the tribal chief. And our winner is Roman Reigns becoming the tribal chief. And a a close second, unanimous first place was Reigns, unanimous second was Bailey and Sasha Banks. Look, it's very simple. You take a guy who WWE for the last, you know, decade, however long, has been pushing as its top star. And it really hadn't worked because they over pushed him as a baby face and never let him lose. And you know, it used to be LOL, Cena wins, it became LOL, Roman wins, and he was always in the main event, shoved down our throats. And what happened? Uh, due to a pandemic, like out of all things, we got time off from Reigns again. This after a guy has recovered from leukemia, a second bout in his life. And we thought he might under- undergo a character shift and a little bit of a change when he came back from that. He didn't. But we started getting behind him. And we started cheering for him again. And even going into this WrestleMania match with Goldberg, while we hated Goldberg in it, we were pretty happy that Reigns was going to get another opportunity to win the title and be champion because last time he was champion, it got cut short. He pulls out. It was a huge news story that he was not wrestling at WrestleMania. He takes multiple months off, not off doing nothing, but staying at home, being safe because WWE, you know, let's be honest, was not testing for COVID-19. So he didn't want to put himself and his newborn children at risk. And then he comes back and it's a surprise that the, that WWE paid off and he doesn't just come back more aggressive and looking a little bit different. He comes back as a brand new character, the tribal chief. And we can talk about the storyline with Jay Uso and the utilization of Paul Heyman, the fact that a rising tide lifts all boats and every single person that Roman Reigns has fought or been in a feud with since coming back has been elevated by him. We can go through it all. But the end result is that fans got from Roman what they never got from John Cena, 
because WWE refused to do it. They got Roman Reigns the heel. And Roman Reigns the heel is the best incarnation that we've ever seen of Roman Reigns. And it sets up the opportunity for when WWE eventually wants to turn him face, he will be over massively as a face. It's not only the best storyline of the year, it's the best long-term development for wrestling of the entire year other than the success of AEW because that's good for the entire business. But this Roman Reigns deal that is currently going on right now is only going to help long-term WWE storytelling. So for those reasons, Chris, this was my storyline of the year. It was your storyline of the year. It was the fans, the listeners' storyline of the year. It was unanimous. Yeah, a month or so ago, I wasn't sure if this could get there because we just hadn't had a lot of it. It came in toward the end of the year. Sasha Bailey had consumed most of the year, but especially with the way December went for Roman, the whole Kevin Owens feud, I think without a doubt, this was the best storyline angle of the year. And it's just for all the reasons you said, it's exciting to see where it's going to go. Bailey, Sasha, uh, was, uh, was hold that re- thought. Hold that thought for a second. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on to the 2020 feud of yes. the year because it's the same people involved. And Good I want to, I want to see if you end up talking about it a little bit differently. Feud of the year are three finalists, Bailey and Sasha Banks, Roman Reigns and Jey Uso and Edge and Randy Orton. And our winner is. I had you hold that thought for a minute, Chris, for a reason. Bailey and Sasha Banks, the unanimous choice for feud of the year with Roman Reigns and Jey Uso, the unanimous second, Edge and Randy Orton, the unanimous third. So go ahead, talk about why you thought Bailey and Sasha Banks was so great. Yeah, th- this worked more as the feud of the year because it was the same two people over the course of the entire year, while the Roman tribal chief involves several other people. So this is why Bailey Sasha goes ahead of Roman Uso, uh, Roman versus Jey Uso, but Roman gets the top storyline of the year. It, it was, it, it was, they slow played this so much. You thought all year they were going to break them up at some point. Are they going to, uh, then you're wondering if they're going to do it. The last time we had the Sasha Bailey feud, they didn't pull the trigger on it. Um, they finally did. And they did it in a great way. Sasha was terrific. Comes out as looking like a superstar. Bailey, uh, we'll get to her later with other stuff, but she was tremendous all season with her own character change and everything. She uh, has gone through this year. The finish was the finish was a little weird at the end, kind of basically ending it on a SmackDown, I think, and then and then right. immediately yep. going into another one. But I don't think it takes that much away from the work they did throughout the entire summer. This was the hottest thing going for much of the summer. Uh, Bailey Sasha, I think, is a deserving feud of the year. I mean, Bailey and Sasha Banks, along with Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton, and I don't mean them as a feud. I just mean them as individuals. They carry WWE for months. Mm-hmm. And Bailey and Sasha Banks were so important that they, you know, had them win the women's tag team championships, largely for storyline reasons, but also so they could show up on both shows. I mean, let's not forget, they had those matches with Asuka and Kyrie Sane over on Raw. You had the Sasha Banks feud with Asuka, meaning individually, but it was still part of the Bailey Sasha Banks feud. Even when they weren't fighting each other, they were still feuding with each other while they were friends. You saw all the facial expressions from Sasha Banks, Bailey's recognition of them, Bailey being the one to turn on Sasha when we always thought it would be the other way. WWE, did they do a 10 out of 10 with this storyline? No. They probably hit it like 
a seven and a half or an eight out of 10. But that's still really good, especially given the circumstances and not having any fans in attendance to truly appreciate what we were getting here. I mean, that Hell in a Cell match between them would have torn the freaking house down if it was in front of fans. And the SmackDown match would have as well. So I don't think we got as strong of a storyline as we could. A little bit of a demerit there. I don't think it got the stage that it should have rather than be at Hell in a Cell on a SmackDown It probably should have been like at Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, but they were kind of forced into a situation where maybe they were planning to slow play it, but man, they had nothing else. They needed something big and they delivered, Sasha Banks and Bayley delivered when few others really could and few others really did for WWE. I mean, the people that they were using on television during some of those times, not that they're bad, but they were using people in in mid-card and main event roles that we're probably stepping up an entire level. And you had Bailey and Sasha Banks carrying everything. So for me, it was an easy choice for you of the year. As I said, Roman Reigns, Jey Uso, a clear second across the board for obvious reasons. Just it was so emotional that even though it was relatively short compared to some others, it drew everyone in. And then Edge and Randy Orton, you cannot like the WrestleMania match. And a lot of people didn't like it. It received some votes actually for worst match of the year. Uh, but their feud was great. And their second match, really the, the greatest quote unquote wrestling match ever, really did save that feud from a wrestling standpoint, in addition to all of the great mic work. I mean, how many times, Chris, did we, were we watching that feud unfold on Raw and say, that's promo of the year? No, that's promo mm-hmm. of the year. It was every week. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. So yeah, and, that, and, was, that was our feud of the year. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and going back to, to something I mentioned before about it, not having fans or having fans, it was always kind of weighing, it was kind of weighing over Sasha Bailey was, can they push this off to a point where fans will be allowed in the arena so they can pay right. this off? And obviously they they couldn't. And they, they did a tremendous job without fans. And that that is a true credit to them. That was incredibly difficult. I actually think Roman, the Tribal Chief stuff, has been aided by not having fans because it has allowed WWE and Roman to tell the story they want to tell without fans turning on it because he's so polarizing on things. He gets to be what they want him to be. You'd have you'd probably you'd have people cheering him now, and there certainly there would certainly be an urge to turn him face again because people like him, and 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 they can't do that. So different stories handled not having fans different ways, and I think. Uh, the those two storylines and feuds really highlighted that. I don't know that people would be cheering him because I, I think, think people, I think people have wanted to boo him for so long that now that you have the opportunity, you boo him. Now, when things, like you have when, to remember, when, it, when it first happened, you would have gotten a huge cheer of, oh, Roman's heel, we're cheering this, we're excited, we're finally getting it. Maybe they would boo him later, but I there think there would have really- been. No, he would have gotten fans. would. I disagree. I think fans would have played along. You would have gotten the you sold out chance. You suck all, you know, bullshit chance when he cheats to win. I think you would have gotten all of those because don't forget he's being played off. He was at first played off Jay Uso, who was a huge face. People love the Usos just as much. I mean, maybe not just as much as Roman, but they love the Usos. Okay. Uh, just as much as New Day. They're one of the best and, and most favorite tag teams in WWE. So Jay Uso would have gotten cheers, especially the way he was treated. Daniel Bryan for those interactions also would have gotten cheers. And Kevin Owens most certainly would have been getting cheers. So no, Roman's been juxtaposed with strong faces. And because of that, I think he would have gotten legitimate heel heat. Now, eventually, yes, I do agree. At some point, he gets a little funny or, he, you know, snarky a little bit. And then fans start laughing at that. And then they turn on, 
turn on the plan, you know, mm -hmm. go against the grain and start cheering him. But I disagree that he would have been cheered early on, maybe very early on. But once it's proven that this guy is a piece of shit in, in storyline, I think he would have gotten the requisite booze that he deserves and that they basically planned for him. But nevertheless, it was a very good secondary option uh, for feud of the year. And clearly it was our storyline angle of the year. Roman Reigns largely with Jay Uso. So let's move on to our 2020 moment of the year. Our three finalists, once again, Roman Reigns turning heel and becoming the tribal chief, Edge returning at the 2020 Royal Rumble, and John Moxley winning the AEW Championship. And our winner is... Edge returning at the 2020 Royal Rumble. Again, a unanimous pick here. This is not a surprise. We already briefly discussed it a bit ago. But look, the, the, the fusion surgeries, the, the spinal stenosis, everything that Edge has gone through, the fact that he was able to come back was great. The moment, though, of... And, and he, he is a large reason why it was so successful. Because you could come out and everyone could cheer you. You could run to the ring, spear, do everything he did last a long time, get eliminated, and it's over. The facial expressions he made of, I'm so emotional, I'm almost going to cry, but I'm also so pumped up, I can't wait to wrestle again. As a wrestling fan, and most of the people listening here probably, especially you and I obviously talking, watched Edge his entire career. You felt it. You're like, man, you know, you think you're kind of worn out and, and, and things are going, you know, getting older and, and things are passing you by, but he got that chance at rejuvenation. And you could feel it and see it in his face and body and the emotion that he gave. And then, yes, he did go on a great run in the Royal Rumble where I think he was in the final four or five. And you're like, wait a minute, are they going to have Edge win the Royal Rumble? And you're starting to believe it. I, the whole Royal Rumble itself was great. Edge was the capstone to the entire thing. That's why it was our 2020 moment of the year. Yeah, the, the, the Edge return, that's... That's what you're waiting for every Royal Rumble. That that's what makes that event so special, that match so special. Those those types of moments, the the the, the holy shit, someone's back. The, that that's what that that's the magic of the Royal Rumble, and we got it, and we got it in a baseball stadium full of fans with a great reaction. Um, clearing away biggest pop of the pop of the year for me was, was when that happened, and, and I, I had Moxley winning the title at. Uh, second, and I'd actually had Sting returning at number three because Roman turning heel, it didn't feel quite like a moment to me because we weren't sure if he was a heel at the time. It wasn't like Hulk Hogan turning on joining the NWO where it was just like, whoa. It, the, the Roman thing started off a little interesting, but it wasn't like a, a it was to me, it wasn't much of a, a moment. So I went Sting return, popped huge for Sting return at number three, and then Moxley went in the title uh, at number two. I mean, I, I just disagreed because I thought it was so obvious with Reigns. I mean, we talked about it, obviously, on the Instagram. Right, we talked about it, and you, you thought so. I, I guess, for me, yeah. like, I, I was not sure. I was like, I guess this is a heel turn. It wasn't quite, it was a little weird. because it, it was like, just, oh, it was seeing him, it was seeing him in the shirt and not right. in the gear. It was just the whole, oh my God, Roman's back, and like, we didn't know. You know, I, Edge, we, I, I kind of knew was going to happen. Like, I think I read it somewhere, and it spoiled it a little bit for oh, me, but I, but, I, but I didn't know that it was real. Like, I still yeah. thought it was like, oh, just some bullshit. Because you have to remember, they were talking for like six months that Edge had gotten cleared and he was, you know, doing this and that. Yeah. But, but then he kept saying, guys, I'm not coming back. Like, it's just not happening. So he did a really good job of kind of fanning the flames. 
So I wasn't 100% sure, but I had an inkling that he might show up. Reigns was out of nowhere. And it was just really exciting, really awesome. A good moment. And you know what? We're going to kind of stick with this year because our next award is the 2020 Comeback of the Year. Our finalists, Hiroshi Takahashi over in NJPW, Edge, and MVP. The winner is... It's Edge again, and he actually barely beat out MVP, which goes to show you how strong MVP's comeback has been this year. We may get an opportunity to talk about him a little bit later, but again, I think MVP coming back, he was healthy. You know, he was just not in WWE. He was doing things on independence. He was doing other things with his life, but he did come back in a major way at the Rumble, and obviously he's done a lot. Edge, it was the adversity overcome. He won by a single point over MVP. That's how close it was. The fans and myself both voted for Edge first. You voted for MVP first. And then the second place votes were MVP for the fans, Takahashi for me, and Nia Jax for you. And Nia Jax is interesting. You know, she's someone we're probably not going to talk about on the rest of the show, but she tore both of her ACLs and came back, I think, in a little bit over a year, if memory serves. It's just incredible that she was able to do that. So, you know, you can say what you want about her as a wrestler, but the fact that she was able to get back, and honestly, the last couple of months, last two months, we've probably gotten the best Nia Jax we've ever had. And that's after heavy criticism earlier in the year. Mm -hmm. So I give credit to you for giving her that vote. I do think she deserves it. Yeah, yeah. she's been quite durable, pretty good throughout this year. A lot, you know, when a lot of people kind of brushed her off with, with, with the injury. Uh, I went MVP number one. I know he's not wrestling a ton, but he's leading the Hurt Business. He's killing it on the mm-hmm. mic every week. He came back at the Rumble, and then all of a sudden, pandemic hits, and he he's there to to talk to Drew after WrestleMania, and then suddenly he's just a full time dude. And, yeah. and he he's he's been great. Uh, I put Edge number three. I didn't give it to Edge, frankly, because he got hurt again, and that that obviously you know it sucks, and we didn't want to see that, but you know he's. Um, in the context of this award, you know, the comeback was great, but then he got hurt again. So that kind of dings. him. Uh, I think that's, I think that's extremely weak. I'm just going to say I did. That's that's very weak. I I know that I understand that's why you did it. I believe you. I think that's a bad vote. Uh, You know, I think I thought your votes across the board were very good. I mean, comeback to me, comeback entails the entire comeback. No, it's making your way back. It's like, like, NFL, no, you're right. NFL comeback player of the year is not just the person who comes back from the most adversity, but right. who also then goes on to have a good year. Generally. Yeah, no, his adversity for sure. I just meant the, the body but, of work within the comeback. That's what I was voting for. I think, I think edge is very similar to who I expect to be the NFL comeback player of the year, which is Alex Smith, where he came sure. back, had some really good moments, then got hurt again. Sure. And that's pretty much the exact same thing that happened to Alex Smith. So yes, I do think that MVP Nia Jax, Takahashi received the third place vote from, from the listeners, second place for me. I mean, the adversity he came through from a broken freaking neck to come back. People thought he was going to have to retire, never wrestle again. So that was incredible as well. That's why he got my vote. I didn't expect him to win here just because Edge did something very similar and is a higher profile guy. But but a great comeback from him. He's still wrestling. He had an incredible match this year with Will Ospreay. So put some respect on Takahashi's name. He deserves it as well. Let's move on. We've got a lot of awards left. Our breakout wrestler of the year. Our three finalists were pretty clear here. Jay Uso was a surprise finalist for me. MJF and Keith Lee. And the winner is... 
you really can't be surprised here. It is none other than the limitless one, Keith Lee, who, by the way, gave us an incredible interview here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast that you can listen to if you go back into our archives. Now, Keith Lee was indeed my first place vote. He was the first place vote of the listeners. I'm going to explain why to you as someone who is not a huge NXT viewer. Uh, You know, Keith in 2019 was still kind of not really being used much. Uh, There were a number of factors. There was a combination of injuries and they had too many people and they couldn't fit him in, whatever. He ended the year 2019 or began 2020, I think began 2020, winning the number one contendership for the North American Championship. In short order, he then won the North American Championship. He then became the number one contender for the NXT Championship. And then he won the NXT Championship. And while all of this was happening, you have to remember, he closed 2019, and this is a 2020 award, but he closed 2019 with the moment in Survivor Series, started 2020 with the moment with Brock Lesnar in the Royal Rumble, a star-making moment right there for Keith Lee. You keep taking it all the way through 2020. He becomes the NXT champion. He gets called up to the main roster. He beats Randy Orton one-on-one on a pay-per-view clean. And he just, as we right before we taped the show, beat Sheamus one-on-one clean on the final show of the year to become the number one contender for the WWE Championship. This is breakout. It's the definition. Keith Lee is on his way to becoming a star in WWE. I, I will discuss the rest of the votes. But Chris, that is why the fans, the listeners, that's why the Silver King voted Keith Lee number one, and he won the award for Breakout Wrestler of the Year. I so I actually didn't have him on my top three, but I'm realizing that was a mistake. I, I, I for obvious reasons, but <laughs> I, 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 like I said, I don't watch NXT every week. I was aware of what he had done when I was looking at the awards and ranking. I it, I, it was in my mind. Um, what he had done on the main roster and what he had done on the main roster, frankly, up until Monday night was sit around the top area, but he hadn't actually accomplished all that much. He wasn't having many wet matches and winning them, which is what we have been frustrated with. But the way he closed it to get a number one contendership, you factor in everything he did in NXT, which I probably should have weighed a lot more. I, I would have had him in the top three. I probably still wouldn't have had him at number one, but um, definitely, definitely well-deserving of winning this award. Now, just briefly, because we we are going a little bit long here, but I do want to kind of break down a couple other people. The the listeners did vote Kyle O'Reilly second, which I thought was interesting just because he did break out as a singles performer. And you can say the same for Jay Uso, who you voted second and also received third place votes from myself and the listeners because Jay Uso also got the opportunity to break out as a singles performer, which is kind of within the definition of this award. I gave Eddie Kingston a second place vote for the reasons you mentioned earlier. Eddie Kingston was kind of on the independence, floundering around. He was a name people knew. No one ever thought he was going to get part of a major promotion. But what happened? He got the shot just as an independent, like one day signee, gets a contract, wrestles John Moxley, in the main event of one of AEW's four pay-per-views of the year. So I thought Kingston deserved more love in this category than he got. Neither you nor the listeners voted for him. That's okay. You gave Orange Cassidy also a third place vote, you know, which I think is understandable. He did have a really big year and you could say that he broke out, especially maybe across a little bit further than just the wrestling sphere. I believe he trended on like uh, Twitter or Reddit like once or twice just for his 
the way he wrestles because it's unique. But you did give a first place vote to M- MJF who did not get a vote from anyone else. I get it. But why don't you kind of explain why he got your first place? This is what I was saying earlier about going back to figuring out where in the timeline things were with with AEW. MJF hadn't quite broken out until uh, this year with with, with the uh, the election stuff he did, the the championship matches he got, the Cody stuff he did at the beginning of the year, the dinner debonair, getting featured in the New York Times for for among the best performances in entertainment on the year. Uh, he he was a guy who instantly, when AEW started, you knew like, oh, this guy could be a star. But I think he didn't he didn't really uh, get to that level yet until this year. Now he is one of I think he's one of the top guys in AEW, and he's looked at as that um, and presented as such by the company. So I, I I think when you look at the body of work he did over the entire year, that's why I gave him uh, number one. It is completely understandable for him to get that nod. I just compared to some of the other options, I didn't necessarily think he was up to them. And also, he while he was successful, I never thought he broke through. Like I thought he he was one of the most featured wrestlers of the year, but I don't know that he actually broke through to where people really love him. And I felt that with Kingston, I felt that with Keith Lee, and I did feel that with Jey Uso and Kyle O'Reilly as well. So it is pretty interesting. Moving on, an award that we kind of did last minute here, we felt it was appropriate for the meaties. The 2020 Big Meaty Man of the Year. Our finalists, Keith Lee, Biggie, and Braun Strowman. And the winner is... I mean, really, Chris, who else is going to be the inaugural winner of this award, you guys know it absolutely, positively has to be Biggie. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> and it's not actually for the sound drop. It's, it's just real. Biggie had an absolutely incredible year. Yes, you could say Keith Lee was great for all the reasons we just mentioned uh, regarding the breakout wrestler of the year, and it's true. But Biggie really was the definition of the Big Meaty Man Award. He worked as a tag team. He worked as a single star. Obviously, he just closed the year winning the Intercontinental Championship. But the personification of this is not just about winning. It's about those dominant moments, uh, the strength, throwing people through barricades, over tables. Uh, And he was able to do that with both New Day while they were all tag team champions and running those types of gimmicks earlier in the year. And then certainly as a singles performer later in the year, we saw what Big E is capable of, and we think the future is extremely bright. Braun Strowman and Keith Lee tied for a second, and I thought that was appropriate. Braun Strowman had probably more of those big moments that we were talking about, but he also was involved in so many things that seemed really stupid. A lot of the stuff with The Fiend, um, Miz and Morrison, it, it just it was a down year for him. And Keith Lee, I thought, for me at least, was more about the wrestling than it was just the overall display of strength. Though, I think you could have made a case for Keith Lee winning this given the showdown with Brock Lesnar and given some, the, the matches with Damian Priest that he had. But top to bottom, I think Biggie, the namesake really of this award, was deserving as the winner. Yeah, I, I think that's ultimately why I went with Biggie, that and, and the, the physical feud with Sheamus. 
a lot of big meaty stuff going on there. I, I think if you want to talk about who had the the biggest meatiest moments, it was probably Braun. Um, probably Braun. Yeah. The, the, the 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 brawl with Keith Lee, the Fiend stuff, the Brock stuff in the Rumble. There was a lot of meat slapping going around when Braun Strowman was in the ring. That is true. So let's keep going here with our 2020 faction of the year. Our three finalists were Undisputed Era, The Hurt Business, and Inner Circle. And the winner is... The Hurt Business beats Inner Circle by a single point as our faction of the year. And look, between you and I and the listeners, all of us had first and second place votes. These two were far and away the best factions. The reason why I picked the Hurt Business for my vote over the Inner Circle was simple. The Hurt Business has managed to get over four different people. Not only MVP, who's the mouthpiece and the leader of the entire thing. It saved Bobby Lashley from mediocrity. You have to remember Bobby Lashley was coming off of the Rusev feud. And it wasn't that he was bad necessarily, but he was not, he was hardly a believable mid-carter at that point. He was, it was getting into kind of comedy territory. And MVP revived him. Lashley had, I don't remember if the Lashley match with Drew McIntyre was with MVP or not as his manager type deal. I forget. But he was either coming off of that or that was with MVP. And he was able to somehow continue enhancing Bobby Lashley's profile, helped him win the United States Championship. And again, he hasn't done much with that, but it still brings presence to him. And you now believe in him as a wrestler and as a performer more than you have previously. It completely took Shelton Benjamin from jobbing into a legitimate faction. And it saved Cedric Alexander from running around with the 24-7 championship, brought him into a legitimate faction, gave him confidence, and now he and Benjamin are the Raw Tag Team Champions. Whereas you look at Inner Circle, they have been far more entertaining. Chris Jericho versus MVP, you can say MVP has been great, Jericho is more entertaining. Now recently they've had the MJF thing for me, it's watered it down a little bit. But what's happened with the group? Sammy did really nothing. Swagger's done nothing. And Santana and Ortiz, they had a great feud with best friends, but they're not winning titles and they're not prominently featured. So I gave her business the nod because it literally raised the game of the members of the faction. And that is one of the most important things of a faction. The other is giving people stuff to do. That's what Inner Circle did. For me, her business raised the game of all four of the people involved. And that's why it was my, and probably that's why it was the listeners as well, faction of the year. Yeah, you make a good case. I, I had Inner Circle one purposes too, but it was really, really close. And with, with the explanation you give, I think I'm glad her business one. You you probably make a good case on that. My my only thing with her business was um, one that Lashley's never defending that title. It sucks. And, and yeah. two, they kind of they they lost a bunch to New Day. It was very weird. Her business definitely ended the year very strong these last couple of weeks, um, and and maybe that's enough to put it over the edge. So. We've we're finally now we've got the hurt business we've wanted for a while. So uh yeah, good case. Inner, inner circle was great. I mean stadium stampede. Yeah, it was the, more of the first half. Yeah, inner circle was more kind of the first half of the year, the stadium stampede, all the stuff with the yeah. elite. Her business was probably more of the second half of the year. I mean, again, these two received all 
first and second place votes. Yeah. So it's just it's just that her business received one more first place vote. It was very close. But I do think her business, for the reasons I mentioned, was deserving. Okay. What, did, what did you put third? Third for me, I put Undisputed Era. They're just so consistent across the board. You had Dark Order. I, yeah, I did Dark Order basically just for their BTE work, which I think has been remarkable. And Brody Lee really started that. And we talked about it on, on yesterday's show. But uh, they've become like must-see stuff on BTE. John Silver is hilarious. So Dark Order really turning things around this year through BTE was kind of an unexpected development. So I, I thought they were deserving of a third place vote. They really were. Um, I think they were deserving of that vote. I think Undisputed Era just ekes them out simply because of in-ring success. And, you know, you had Cole and Riley both contending for titles. The other guys were tag team champions. They were involved in the War Games match. I mean, just so much happened there where Dark Order was purely, again, more on the comedy end, more mm-hmm. on the entertainment stuff. So that's why I and the listeners as well voted for Undisputed Era third. So you know what? We might as well, Chris, just move on to manager of the year because it applies here uh, through our conversation. Our three finalists for manager of the year, Paul Heyman, Taz, and MVP. So if I didn't already give it away, the unanimous winner was indeed MVP for all of the reasons we just mentioned. I mean, what's really impressive about MVP we, we can talk about everything that happened off screen. The fact that he got the opportunity to come back to WWE, as you said, parlayed it into a couple raw appearances. He was then hired as an agent backstage and a producer. That was supposed to be his role. And then they just said, hey, you know what? We have MVP. Why the hell aren't we using this guy as an on-screen character, especially as the pandemic began and they needed personality and bigger, bigger than life people. And MVP has certainly always been one of those. But the reason he's manager of the year is not so much what he did on screen, which is why I voted Paul Heyman second place, because Heyman with Lesnar earlier, the work he did against McIntyre, and now later in the year working with Roman Reigns. I mean, Heyman normally would run away with this thing. But MVP has literally lifted the careers of three different people, in kayfabe and in reality. So for me, Chris, it was an easy choice for manager of the year. Yeah, he, he he was my choice as well for all the obvious reasons just he he was in that post wrestlemania period when we didn't really know what things were going to look like we were still kind of in shock that wrestlemania didn't happen the way it did mvp became one of the like gotta watch guys on raw because he would cut some sort of promo and and, and start pulling guys together and we wanted a faction pretty quickly we were like oh him mvp leading a faction would be incredibly cool and that's exactly what we got, and, and it's what it was. Um, what was what was your number two for manager was it, of the year? Was it Heyman? Oh yeah, it was easy. That was an easy choice for me. See, I see. I didn't include Heyman because to me, he's he's more of a bit character as it relates to Roman Reigns. I, I mean, he's there and he's important, but he's not talking much. He's not he's not Man. getting Roman and he's not yes. getting Roman in matches. I I, I went with I went with. Um, Taz at number two because he kind of brought a lot of random pieces together in in in, in what became kind of an interesting group with with uh, Ricky Starks with Brian Cage and, and kind of gave a lot of guys who I think didn't have direction kind of gave them something to do. My problem with Taz is that it's very similar to Inner Circle. He's on screen, he's entertaining, but he hasn't really done anything. Like yeah, he gave people direction, but Paul Heyman managed two champions this year. 
and and was an integral part of the Lesnar storyline with McIntyre. He was Paul Heyman was an integral part of building Drew McIntyre into a legitimate champion. That's right. Like McIntyre won the title and took it the rest of the way, but Heyman is one of the reasons he got over so well. And Heyman's one of the reasons why the tribal chief character works so well. So for me, it was uh, it was easy. I did vote Taz number three because I'm not saying he did nothing, but the only title they had was an invent his FTW title. Many weeks he comes out there, says absolutely nothing, but he's just aggressive. So people like it. And he calls out Tony Khan occasionally. So it's like, he's good, but what's he actually doing as a manager? And for me, really nothing, especially compared to MVP and Paul Heyman. So for me, those were clearly the number one and number two. I, I did Zelina Vega number three, just real quick. Um, you know, the Andrade, the Garza, the, the Austin Theory, the group she had. There was that period in, I think it was maybe early summer, where she was really directing things with a lot of them. And it, it was an interesting role for her. I thought she did a really good job in that. Obviously, she's, you know, moved on to to other things right now. But I, yeah. I thought uh, as kind of a B-level faction manager, I thought it was uh, it was a welcome sight. And I thought she did a good job in that in that role. I think Zelina Vega definitely gets the honorable mention, at least as far as I'm concerned, because she does deserve to be be mentioned in that category. Six awards left. We're going to get into our match awards, and we have to start with the worst match of 2020. Our three finalists, Matt Hardy versus Sammy Guevara, the broken rules match at All Out, The Fiend versus Goldberg, at WWE Super Showdown and Big Swole versus Britt Baker, the tooth and nail match. I don't even remember. Was that at All Out as well? Maybe uh, at an AEW pay-per-view. For some reason, I don't have that. And just to note, I mean, it was close. Fourth place, uh, which didn't make the finalists, but fourth place was indeed Brock Lesnar versus Ricochet at WWE Super Showdown. So of the three actual finalists, the winner again, for lack of a better term, is Matt Hardy versus Sammy Guevara, the broken rules match at AEW All Out. A very close second was Fiend and Goldberg at WWE Super Showdown. I know that was your first choice and a great first choice. It was. My first place pick was indeed the Hardy versus Sammy match. The reason why I chose it over the Fiend-Goldberg match from a wrestling standpoint, Fiend Goldberg was actually, I mean, I don't want to say it was better, but nothing went wrong. Like it, it was a bad match, but it wasn't exceptionally bad when Brock Lesnar versus Ricochet was on the same card. So I don't really know in terms of wrestling how you split the two. The conceptualization of Matt Hardy versus Sammy Guevara, the idea that they planned those spots, the idea that they did the spot and then continued the match, moving into then the finish. They didn't come up with a different finish. They still did the very dangerous finish that they had, despite there being a soft landing. And then I kind of even cheated a little bit, and I thought a a bit further into how they booked it the Wednesday following on Dynamite. The entire thing disgusted me. So if it wasn't going to be the worst moment of the year, the 0.0 award, which I did give to Fiend and Goldberg for the overall angle, For me, it was very easy to vote this as the worst match of the year. I voted Swole and Britt Baker second, and then I voted Lesnar and Ricochet actually first over Fiend Goldberg because I thought Lesnar and Ricochet was an actually worse match itself. Now, the listeners and you both voted Fiend Goldberg number one as the worst match. 
But you were close. You both agreed with me. Hardy and Sammy Guevara was number two. So I think this ends up being, again, a ranked choice type of victory. But for me, this was the clear answer. Fiend Goldberg, an easy number two. I totally get why it's second place. Yeah, they were bad for different reasons, obviously. I mean, the wrestling was not good in Goldberg versus Fiend. It was, and, and you don't expect it to be with the Goldberg match. It was. I knew that was going to be bad. I right. didn't expect Sammy and Hardy to be bad. No, and, and honestly, Sammy and, and Matt, I don't think they've quite recovered from this. I, I mean, just neither of them have. Nope. No, like their, their characters or stories have just, it still hangs over them as characters and just kind of the way it played out. I, I didn't, didn't Reba tweet something that night uh, about they were, it. She was, yeah, she was so pissed off about AEW and, and saying they, they lied about how they tested him and didn't yeah. test him and what the results were. And then she shows up Wednesday. On Dino. And it's just like the whole thing was, was, was garbage. Honestly, yeah. it was garbage. It made everyone look bad. It made AEW look bad worse than anyone. But no one looked good coming out of that. And I just thought it was such a stain on a good year for AEW, that match, that for me, it was an easy choice. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, it, it makes sense. But it's a clear top two between those two, I think, for different reasons. So I, I, I totally agree. So let's keep going. The special attraction match of the year. And I did separate this category, Chris, because I didn't necessarily think you can measure up like the Firefly Funhouse match with Okada versus Ibushi. I just didn't feel that those really belonged in the same category. And I thought this year was very unique and special where we had these cinematic matches. I did ask for nominees. There ended up only being three nominees for good reason. Those three nominees were indeed our finalists. The Boneyard match, between The Undertaker and AJ Styles, the Firefly Funhouse match between The Fiend Bray Wyatt and John Cena, and the Stadium Stampede match between The Elite and Inner Circle. And the winner is... The Boneyard match between The Undertaker and AJ Styles. I wasn't completely surprised that this won. I was more surprised that you gave it a third place vote and you didn't give it a first or second. I'll tell you guys my particular order, and I believe I'm staying true to the order that we discussed in the heat of the moment when we were reviewing all of these on the podcast. I thought the Boneyard match was easily the best special attraction match of the year just because it was campy action movie. It ended up being The Undertaker's final match, but that I didn't factor that in. I just thought it was so smart the way they put the entire thing together. I had Stadium Stampede number two. It was inventive. I was really excited by the use of a football stadium as I am a sports fan. However, I did feel it went a little bit too long and it was a little bit predictable in the end. So that's why I had it slightly just behind Boneyard as the second place. And Firefly Funhouse, I thought was fantastic and entertaining as all hell, but it wasn't really a match. The others at least made you feel like there was a lot of fighting involved. Firefly was more just a cinematic segment that we ended up getting on WWE television, in this case, WrestleMania 36. That was my order. I'll also say the listeners went three to one, Boneyard, Firefly, and Stampede, meaning, I'm sorry, one, two, three. Uh, and then Chris, you voted Firefly Funhouse number one. You had Stadium Stampede two like me, and you had Boneyard match number three. So what about Firefly stood out for you that you thought deserved that number one spot? Yeah, well, I mean, to be clear, I loved, I loved, all three of these. Me too. And, and honestly, I've wanted I've wanted more cinematic matches during this pandemic era. We've gotten some more. Some have been good. Some have been bad. But it gives you just a world of possibilities. To, to me, Firefly Funhouse was just 
that was something we'd, we'd never seen. And yeah, the, the, it wasn't much wrestling, but again, this is not the match category. This is the special attraction category. And this is. is this was just something we had never seen before. Just the deep cuts, the callbacks, uh, putting John Cena in that NWO shirt, you know, the idea of, like we talked about, they never did John so Cena as a heel. Yeah. It was such a smart segment. And it really just like, it, it, if you've paid attention to wrestling for the last 25 years, it 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 was one, it rewarded you by bringing all these callbacks, the Eric Bischoff stuff, all, all these little things. I was absolutely captivated by it. I rewatched it like twice that night. And I, I just, I've never seen anything like it. I probably never will see anything quite like it. It was such a creative, interesting thing that told a story without having a match in, in, in just different ways. You know, it, it was different than Stadium Stampede and Boneyard. Uh, no, it wasn't much of an actual match, but it was fascinating. We still haven't seen John Cena on our TV. I hope they address it if he comes back or something. But, you know, for John Cena to put Bray Wyatt over, in that way, to create a freedom to do such an interesting thing, I thought was just really special. Such good shit. And we also got that sound drop yes. before, during the NWO segment that you were talking about. No, you're right. Uh, it was so inventive. Like you said, Cena put him over. It helped reestablish The Fiend after losing the title to Goldberg, which yep. is such a bad moment. It kind of put him back on course, on the right course. And obviously he would then kind of go on to win the, the title again, you know, down the line a little bit. So it did kind of save him a lot. And I did think it was worthy of inclusion here, but I think the key, all these were separated by one voting point. Oh, so wow. really all three were really good. Yeah. The key is nothing else got nominated in our open nominations and nothing else got voted. Meaning every other cinematic match really, really failed by comparison. I mean, the NXT ones that weren't very good, the tooth and nail one was terrible with AEW. Uh, anything else that WWE tried, I'm not really thinking about it. I can't think about it off the top of my head. Oh, oh the Swamp Fight. Swamp Fight, yeah. The Swamp Fight was a piece of shit. So, you know, I think we had a period of time where the cinematic matches delivered and were important and they helped wrestling. But now I'm okay with not seeing them or at least not seeing them more than once or twice a year and being very special when we do get them. So yeah. that's what I think the takeaway is from this. Now our four big awards are coming up starting right now. The first award that we need to break down in a very special way, the 2020 match of the year. Now, I want to preface this because we got a lot of great wrestling in 2020. This may have been one of the more difficult years when it comes to nominees, voting, and really trying to capture what the best match of the year was. Because of that, our nominees did not include probably five or six additional NJPW matches that could have been on there. There was a lot of great Japanese wrestling, but a combination of our audience probably not watching all of them because they didn't really involve Kenny Omega or a John Moxley or a Chris Jericho combined with there being so much great wrestling stateside with WWE, NXT, and AEW, it made for an interesting category of nominees. But we did ultimately have three finalists. Those three finalists are Finn Balor versus Kyle O'Reilly for the NXT Championship, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page against the Young Bucks for the AEW Tag Team Championship, and Walter against Isla Dragunov for the NXT 
United Kingdom Championship. And the winner is... Walter versus Isla Dragunov for the NXT UK Championship. Now, this was the only match nominated that received votes across the board from the listeners, from Chris, and from myself. I did end up voting for it as the match of the year. The reason why is I felt there were only two matches in all of 2020 that had people talking about them. You need to go see this match. One of them was Kenny Omega and Hangman Page against the Young Bucks. The other one of them was Walter against Isla Dragunov. And I know if you happen to be a big, strong style wrestling fan, especially Japanese strong style, you've seen matches like this before. I don't think most people have, including Chris, who will maybe talk about it briefly because I made him watch it before this show. Yes. I had a feeling it was going to end up winning. Uh, what I'll go and tell you is for me, and I've seen Suzuki fight, and I've seen a lot of these great strong style wrestlers. I've gone back and watched Shinsuke Nakamura stuff. I've never seen a more brutal wrestling match in my entire life. And I'm not talking about hardcore and blood and things like that. I'm just talking about two dudes truly beating the absolute shit out of one another. That's what I saw from Walter Isla Dragunov. I was captivated. They swerved me numerous times. I thought there was a chance Dragunov was going to win that title. Ultimately, he did not. Walter retained. It was an absolutely incredible match, unlike anything I've ever seen before. I kind of put Kenny Omega and Hangman Page with the Young Bucks in that similar type of category. The exception being I've seen matches that smart and that well wrestled before from primarily Kenny Omega in Japan. And I've seen the Young Bucks have great tag team matches as well. So I thought, you know, Omega Page Young Bucks was a five-star tag team match. I felt Walter Isla Dragunov was like a five and a half star match. Again, something I just had never, ever seen before. The listeners, you agreed with me. You guys had Balor and Kyle O'Reilly as your second choice and Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, and the Young Bucks as your third. I also had that as my third. Uh, but Chris, you had it as your first. So why don't you tell me why you thought that match was so special? Well, I originally wasn't, I originally didn't have Walter Dragunov on here. And you were like, no, no, you, you should, you got to watch it. You, you should watch Before it. you vote, you have to yeah, see yeah, it. Yeah, you have to go yeah. watch it. So, so I did and I, and I got it. I didn't put it at number one, uh, but it was still a, a great, uh, a great match. And you make good points about how it's a different kind of match and how, yeah, we have seen the, the Young Bucks, uh, Page Omega stuff. We've seen that kind of stuff before. I, I think one thing that put, the AEW tag match at the top for me was the story behind it. The, 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 the hangman page, Kenny Omega stuff had been a really well-told story for a while. Uh, you thought they were going to, you know, lose the championship belts. It, it felt like, so it was a bit of a difference there. And we had a crowd, you know, I, I keep talking about there, there were, there was no crowd for Walter Dragunov. I think that would have made, that probably would have been my number one if I had a crowd to kind of react to it. But I will say commentary did a great job in that NXT UK match. Of, mm -hmm. of selling it for someone who I know of Walter. I didn't know anything about Dragunov. They told me the story. They had to carry a lot of that when you don't have a crowd. They did a good job. Um, but I actually was, I, I didn't have any of these as my best match of the year. And I went back and watched it again last night just to make sure that I felt the way I did and, and wasn't nominated, no votes or whatever. My favorite match of the year 
was Imperium versus Undisputed Era at Worlds Collide. Uh, and, and a big reason was, you know, Wolf gets hurt early on. It turns into a four on three. You instantly have a story there of one team being the underdog against Undisputed Era, who are great heels. And, and it, it was an incredibly fun match, had the crowd totally behind it and everything. That was my favorite match of the year. That felt like a Shield-Wyatt family type of, mm-hmm. of, of, of situation, which I also watched last night afterward. Um, so I just, it, it didn't get any votes here, and it, but, but technically my number one was actually that, that Imperium. Undisputed Era match. I mean, it's really it's really your fault that you didn't get me to nominate. I did. It? I tweeted it at you, but it oh, might have been too, it might have oh. been too late. It might have been too late. Oh, maybe. Okay, yeah. No, I I totally missed it. I mean, look, there's a lot of other good matches. I did misspeak earlier, by the way. My second match of the year was Okada versus Abushi, and I did put Omega Page versus the Bucks third. I thought Okada Abushi. I mean, it, it didn't really get any vote. Some some of you voted for it, but it didn't come to your final three when I tallied all the votes. It was incredible. And it was the best New Japan match of the year. So I did want to give it a shout out. You also voted for uh, Randy Orton versus Edge, the greatest wrestling match ever as your second place. You know, maybe I guess third if you had had your other choice. Uh, That was a great match. That deserves praise. Bailey versus Sasha Banks, WWE Hell in a Cell. That deserves praise as well. And it didn't make this list, but I know it received at least a couple votes. That Undisputed Era versus Broserweights match the Matt Riddle, Pete Dunne against them for the tag team titles match. That was an incredible match as well. There was like an eight-man tag team match in AEW that I'm forgetting. It was the first, remember they went on that run where they had like an eight, a 10, a 12, and a Mm 14-man tag team match in consecutive weeks. The first one of those where Jungle Boy, I think, and Luchasaurus were involved, that one was incredible. The WWE um, Intercontinental Memorial match for Pat Patterson that was a really damn good match. The AJ Styles, Daniel Bryan intercontinental title match was really good. The Roman Reigns matches with Jey Uso. I mean, I'm leaving uh, uh, Kevin Owens against Seth Rollins at WrestleMania. There were uh, the Royal Rumble, the 2020 Royal Rumble. There were a lot of truly great wrestling matches this year. I thought WWE from an in-ring standpoint really stepped up its game. It deserves a lot of credit. AEW, NXT both being good and NJPW as well. All no surprise, but we got a better set of matches from WWE this year than we have in a long, long time. Yeah, and and I'm curious how much of that is, again, not having a crowd and just telling the story they want to tell. A lot. And and not having a crowd to necessarily play to and react to. And and having fewer segments on shows and therefore giving matches a little bit longer of time. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, that's. I think it has to do with it in a significant manner. All right. Let's move on to our final three awards, awarding the actual wrestlers. We are going to start with the 2020 Tag Team of the Year. Our three finalists, the Street Profits, Hangman Page and Kenny Omega, and Bailey and Sasha Banks, the golden role models, if you will. And our winner is... The Street Profits are the Getting Over Awards Tag Team of the Year. And I have to say, this was a total shock to me. I know people really like the Street Profits. You voted for them first place. The listeners voted for them first place. But there was large portions of this year where they really weren't doing anything with the titles. Yes, they did hold them for basically nine months. And but you have to go back and think about Raw and the Viking Raiders feud and the fact that they basically had no challengers for four months. 
They've been great. They're extremely entertaining. I would call them the breakthrough tag team of the year. For me, my singular vote, my first place vote, was for Bailey and Sasha Banks, which I thought had the best year of any women's tag team of all time, obviously. But they were so important to WWE and carrying those titles, the matches they had. They took them to NXT. They took them to Raw. I thought Bailey and Sasha Banks were the clear choice uh, for tag team of the year. I voted them number one. The listeners voted them number two. You did not vote for them at all, but you did vote for the Street Profits for number one. So tell me why the Street Profits are your and the Getting Over Awards tag team of the year. I, I, frankly, I didn't think this was going to be all that close. I'm, I'm kind of surprised. To, to me, they were far and away the tag team of the year. Like you said, they held the belts forever. The, the second half of the year, they've beaten teams over and over and over and not coming close. And I know you didn't like it, but I really liked the whole Viking Raiders sketches they did for a month or two. It, it, it was a real, it, it was more of a chance for us to see their personalities than than we had ever gotten before. And I thought they came out of that, although it was weird with them having the belts and, and not wrestling. I thought they came out of it more interesting than when it started. And and they, they made good friends out of it. And it, some of them were bad. Some of them were really funny, but it gave us a look at, at them. And, and to me, I just thought they were clear far and away the best tag team of the year. I remember there was a point, I don't know if it was this year or last year when uh, private party started getting going in AEW and mm-hmm. a lot of and a lot of people thought oh the street profits are just going to be WWE's response to private party and they're, they're going to No the out. opposite. No it, it, yeah, it, 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 well I'm just saying it, it ended up being not the case at all and the street profits <laughs> rose to the top of the tag team division. My dog hates that my my dog hates <laughs> that people my dog hates that people even thought that way. Yeah I know I'm just it's it was a now. thing that was out there and, and it's very clearly not the case here. Honestly, I I I would have I, I thought about having Montez Ford as one of the breakout wrestlers of the year. Uh, Interesting. I, I thought, yeah, I just think they've been it, it, as far as the tag team the whole year. I mean, Paige and Omega they were a tag team, but they broke up. The Golden Roll Miles were a tag team, they broke up. I think this. I mean, I had Sasha Bailey as a feud of the year. It kind of the whole story that went along with it. I'm not sure them specifically as a tag team. And being the tag team champs was was as much as the whole situation there. But yeah, to me, it was Street Profits in a walk. I just thought with them, it was the quality of matches. It was appearing on all three shows, carrying the company for a long period of time. And they were great as a tag team. The, you know, Sasha Banks rejuvenated herself inside of that tag team. So right, yep. I really thought it was a no-brainer to vote for them as number one. But look, we all, again, this is consensus awards. That's what this is all about. That's why we do rank choice. And the majority wins. And the majority said that the Street Profits are indeed the Getting Over Awards tag team of the year for 2020. That means we're into the co-main event of the Medes, the wrestlers of the year. It gets no more important, Chris, than this. And we are going to start with the 2020 female wrestler of the year. Our three finalists. Bailey, Sasha Banks, and Io Shirai. And the winner is... Sasha Banks, the boss, the blueprint, the SmackDown Women's Champion. Not a surprise for me whatsoever for Banks to take this, though I will say 
she won by a singular voting point over Bailey. Mm. So it was very close between both of them as female wrestler of the year. I think what edged Banks out over Bailey, and you voted for Bailey first place, so you can give me the response here. But what set Sasha Banks apart was her ability to more continue morphing into this new blueprint character to operate within the tag team to put on the best matches of any woman of the year. Because you have to think about she had great matches with Bailey and great matches when they were in a tag team, but she also had awesome matches with Asuka. She had a great match in NXT with Io Shirai. Sasha Banks was the best female in-ring wrestler of the year. And then when you consider the character work that she did, her ability to provide those facial expressions and those constant hints of a possible breakup with Bailey throughout the entire year, working across both shows, finding her confidence. I just thought this was top to bottom the year of Sasha Banks. And what's strange is I think in May or June, we probably thought Asuka was going to be the women's wrestler of the year because she was carrying Raw completely and carrying the entire women's division really on her own. But Banks and Bailey together combined to kind of, you know, take that mantle really from her primarily when they got the women's tag team titles. And I just thought, especially down the stretch, Banks really shone above Bailey. Look at the type of matches that she put on with Carmella. Look at the matches that she had with Bailey, including the Hell in a Cell, where Banks was the one who stood out above Bailey head to head. That's for me why Sasha Banks is the female wrestler of the year for 2020. But again, Bailey, Chris, very close, and she was your first place choice. Well, and, and we also can't forget Sasha Banks, the work she did uh, helping break into the Imperial Cruiser to rescue Baby Yoda on uh, the Mandalorian. Very important work. Very well. important as well. Um, I, I just thought that, you know... It, it, Spoiler the, alert, by the way, for anyone who hasn't watched not that. Really, very not unfairly. really. Not okay. really. Also, it's been a few weeks. Right. Uh, the, the final four-ish months of, of the year, Sasha has really, really shined. 100%. I just thought that Bailey. Uh, really carried more of the story between the two of them. She was the focus. She was the, the, the champion at first. She was pushing Sasha Banks to the side. She was the top heel in, in carrying all that stuff. I just thought, you know, from from WrestleMania on, you know, Bailey had turned into this character and it took a while for us to kind of fully get into it. But shortly after WrestleMania is when Bailey really found her stride with this character. And I, I thought she was, she was probably the best performer in the company for a number of months from the spring into the summer. These last handful of months have not been good for Bailey. She keeps losing. She's not really doing anything. Um, that that has been uh, not great. But the point of it was to have Bailey in this position for eventually Sasha to you know usurp her and take this top spot, which she has and done well in that spot. I just think the full body of work for especially the first half of the year, uh, I, I gave. Slight edge to Bailey for that. I think what you said at the end there is the key. The entire point of this booking storyline was for Sasha Banks to then become the queen of the the mountain, to become the boss and the blueprint that she has needed to be, that she's been kept down really for, you know, Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch and Bailey. She's always, she's been, despite being 
Maybe the best wrestler of the four. I don't even want to say maybe. She is the best wrestler of the four. I think she's the best women's wrestler in the world. But she's always been a third or fourth wheel to the other women. And I think the purpose of the storyline, the angles with her this year was to put her on this mantle. And I think that this award kind of goes to show that she reached it. So I have huge congratulations for me to Sasha Banks. Um, in- incredibly deserved honor. And Bailey, I mean, it's really no slight coming in second here. It was, again, a single voting point. Also receiving votes, Io Shirai and Asuka. Io Shirai, incredible year in NXT. Those matches with Candice LeRae were crazy. There are many years where Io Shirai would well be the women's wrestler of the year. This just wasn't her year, given what Sasha Banks and Bailey did. And Asuka, you know, mad respect to Asuka. She has been consistently entertaining with great quality matches on Raw. She has helped so many people. Lana, we were talking about um, Charlotte Flair now. She's actually helping her become likable. The, the work that she did throughout the Money in the Bank run leading into it, the stuff with Becky Lynch uh, during Royal Rumble season. She had an incredible year. Again, many years Asuka would win this title. But 2020 was about Sasha Banks and Bayley. And in this particular case, Sasha Banks a little bit more than Bayley. That means we are at our final award of the evening, the 2020 Male Wrestler of the Year. There were numerous nominees, but there's only three who received first, second, and third place votes. And what I will tell you, a little tease, is all three of them received unanimous votes, meaning the listeners, Chris, you, and myself, only voted for these three guys. But we all voted for them in different orders. Hmm. So the finalists for the 2020 Male Wrestler of the Year are Roman Reigns, Randy Orton, and Drew McIntyre. And the winner is... The WWE Champion, Drew McIntyre. This was indeed a close vote, as I mentioned. McIntyre was, however the clear winner. Chris, he was your first place choice. The listeners, the Silver King, he was our second place choice. Go ahead and tell me why you believe Drew McIntyre is the 2020 male wrestler of the year. He became, he he was the anointed one and he lived up to it under unfathomable circumstances. He wins the Royal Rumble in an awesome match and people were into this dude. He was getting huge pops all the time. And then he's supposed to get this crowning moment at WrestleMania. And then there are no more crowds. And it could it would have been real easy to move on to somebody else, somebody who was more proven. Uh, but they stuck with Drew. He held the title for pretty much the whole year outside of uh, once he won it outside of that little bit with Orton. I'd say eight of 12 months. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he just delivered in every possible way. And I just can't help but think, imagine how big this guy would be if he had crowds behind him, because he is, he is what I've always, he's what we've not often had in a babyface champion. He's smart. He's not, he doesn't put himself in stupid situations. He just shows up to kick ass and he's funny. He's, he, he, he's intimidating. He's the complete package. This is what Vince McMahon saw however many years ago when he first brought Drew McIntyre in. He's a completely different looking dude now. 
but he they made they decided to make him the face of the company and i think he is living up to that and he lived up to it in a time uh that that nobody could have expected under incredible circumstances yeah you you put it perfectly asked to carry the mantle at the most difficult time of wwe's history since before the attitude era and the guy shined i mean he was carrying both brands despite never appearing on smackdown he was the male champion of WWE because on the other brand, you had The Fiend who wasn't really doing media or you had Braun Strowman who, you know, will be candid, was embroiled in a bunch of shitty rivalries and was never very good as a champion and, and only was champion because Roman Reigns pulled out of WrestleMania in the first place. So Drew was the guy and he not only was the guy, he maintained being the guy. He was a cool face, as you said, without ever getting corny. Like Seth Rollins was a cool face for a while. Then he got corny. It happens yeah. to everyone. Drew, does he do a couple things? The, the three, two, one countdown? Yeah, it's kind of silly. I see, I see, I don't like the three. I didn't like the three, two, one back in January, December when that happened. But I couldn't deny that the crowds got really into it. The crowds got into it. All right. Like the crowds liked it, but doing it to an empty arena. And then at the very beginning when he was doing it, it wasn't very good. But He's a face. So they got behind behind whatever. They got behind the yes chant for Daniel Bryan. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a smart thing for the crowd to get behind it. But my point is, yes, you, to your point, he even got that over. And had he beaten Lesnar the way he beat Lesnar in front of a crowd, it would have gone apeshit. The matches that he ended up having, those Dolph Ziggler matches were great. The Bobby Lashley match Bobby was Lashley great. Match. The Randy Orton matches were great. This guy put on great matches. And then he, the crowning achievement. He went toe to freaking toe with Roman Reigns, where if you said a year ago, those two are going to fight and Drew McIntyre is going to be the face and Roman Reigns is going to be the heel, not because of crowd reaction, but because of booking, people would have laughed and said, what the hell are you smoking? That match, man, there was no water. There was no bread. All we got was meat. And that's what we got. Drew McIntyre may have potentially been a consideration for the big meaty man of the year. And honestly, if we had thought about it, maybe he would have won the whole damn thing because he's had those matches the same way he's had good, you know, technical wrestling matches as well. So McIntyre is a very, very deserving 2020 male wrestler of the year to quickly go through the other two guys. I did vote Randy Orton as the wrestler of the year, primarily because. We've said it on this podcast. We said it on my old podcast. Randy Orton is a B-side in WWE. He's the guy who plays off the other guy. And he's did it all year. Like He's doing it right now against The Fiend. He previously did it against Drew McIntyre. And then against Edge. But Randy Orton had a career wrestling year. And when you talk about someone who's been a veteran of this industry for nearly two decades, a champion, I forget how many times, 12, 13 times, whatever it is, and has been in feuds with the best ever. And you think back and you say, what is the crowning moment of Randy Orton's entire career? What's the crowning year? It's 2020. It really is. On the mic, in the ring. He was part of one of the best matches of the year. He was part of one of the best feuds of the year. He's doing one of the most unique storylines of the year as we close things out. I thought Drew's been great. I think Roman Reigns is well-deserving. But I said in June or July, something like that, when we were talking about this, mm -hmm. who's your wrestler of the year? I said it was Randy Orton at that point. 
And when I look at that 12-month span, well, if he was the wrestler of the year seven months in, and the last five months, he's still been doing really good work, how is he no longer my wrestler of the year? I couldn't do that math, especially compared to the other two guys. So Randy Orton did get my first place vote. Drew McIntyre got my second place vote. And Roman Reigns got my third place vote, though Roman Reigns was the listener's choice for male wrestler of the year. And he was your second choice for male wrestler of the year. So Reigns, obviously, Chris, had a great year. Early on, he was being bought as a face for the first time in a long time. I thought that was due a lot to his improvement on the mic and WWE's better booking of him, not forcing the title on him and kind of waiting for WrestleMania for him to get that moment, even though it didn't come. But the reinvention of Reigns over the second half of the year has just been, or final third, I should say, really, of the year has just been incredible. If he had been that character the whole year, he may have run away with this award. Yeah. All three of these guys, McIntyre, Reigns, Orton, they deserve a ton of credit. There's others that had great years. John Moxley had a great year. Kenny Omega, you know, people in AEW, people in NXT. Adam Cole, from an in-ring standpoint, probably had the best year out of anybody. But I think these three were the right finalists. Yep, no, yeah, if Roman had, you know, just done this for the whole year, I think he would have got it. You know, we we were on the same page halfway through the year. We thought Randy Orton was wrestler of the year, and we thought Randy Orton was going to come out of SummerSlam as a champion, as as a kind of the crowning moment of the year he was having, and he didn't. He lost. He lost again. (laughs) He kept losing to Drew McIntyre, and that, I think, just it really hurt what had been an otherwise fantastic year. That feud went on a bit too long. They finally put up the title on him only to take it away a week before uh, Survivor Series because they wanted to do Drew Roman. So kind of the booking around it, I think kind of the second half of the year hurt Orton in that sense, but he's come back in a big way with this Fiend stuff. Um, I think without a doubt, these this year is probably his best promo year of his career. Just, oh, yeah. Just, a, a guy who can, can sometimes get boring on the mic. He has been- By the way, just really quick, all three of them. All three of them, best promo years of their careers. Yep, yep, definitely, definitely, definitely. And especially for Orton, a guy who's been around forever doing this, he he had a different edge to him in, in, in no, pun no pun intended, intended I guess, <laughs> in, in in different ways. So, um, you know, Orton, I had him number, I think I had him two or three. I don't remember if I had him two or you three. You had Orton a uh, third. Yeah, Yeah, but they, they were all really, really close. Um, he he had one heck of a year. And, and yeah, he was my midway point winner uh, at this point. But I think just kind of the way things got booked with the McIntyre feud a bit, uh, hurt him a little bit at the end. It was just a tremendous year for all three of these guys. It was honestly, looking back on 2020, a tremendous year in wrestling in the face of unsurmountable adversity with the COVID-19 pandemic um, and everything else that's been going on in this country. So to get the wrestling that we did, especially when we're talking, when we started this show in March and April, and May, and we're looking at WWE in the Performance Center and AEW, like they did some of their shows from that Atlanta gym and and NXT was, I don't even, I think they were at Full Sail for some, they were at the Performance Center for some and the wrestling was not good. It was struggling and we were struggling kind of through this show in March, April, May. And then all of a sudden, like things really picked up and we had the bright spots then too. I mean, you know, some factions forming in WWE and the some of those WrestleMania matches, the, the Boneyard match and the Stadium Stampede, uh, Firefly, all that. There was a lot of stuff to kind of sink your teeth into. But 
once everyone figured out how to operate within the pandemic and WWE came up with the Thunderdome, which you can laugh at the name all you want, the setup's incredible. They deserve yep. a lot of credit for yep. that. AEW, the way they've set up Daily pla- Daily's Place has been fantastic. And then you kind of look back before that all started and you had Royal Rumble and you had NXT TakeOver Portland and you had AEW, I think it was Revolution. And those were three of the first pay-per-views we had for the entire year. And they were among our finalists, well, not our finalists, but they all received votes for pay-per-view of the year. And just think about how the year started, how the year's finished. We got a really strong NXT show, a really strong AEW show. Survivor Series and TLC were both very good for WWE. And this ended up being, Chris, a sneaky good year of professional wrestling. Yeah, it it could have been a disastrous year. You know, there was talk about whether or not the wrestling was even going to continue. Would they even be allowed to do it? Um, and, and we expressed plenty of reservations. Uh, we thought they should have stopped for at least yeah. a month and no one ever stopped. I mean, we were, WWE we for a couple weeks, WWE for a couple weeks did have those um, pre-tapes, like the pre-tapes and they aired old matches and stuff. And that yeah. lasted like a month or so. But once we got past that, I thought we were rolling or, you know, started getting better at least. Yeah, no, yeah. Once... Once they got into the Thunderdome and they kind of got back into their old cadence, I think it worked out. And, and um, yeah, we just we every month we didn't know, hey, could they have fans next month? We don't really know where this is going to go. And then we kind of settled into it. I think I think all the companies found their uh, found their direction after a few months of not really knowing what the heck they were supposed to do. So um, it ended up. It was a great start to the year. Then it got weird, started to figure themselves out over the summer. And I think the last handful of months have been really, really good for wrestling. Really quick on the way out of here. These aren't awards, but I'm just kind of curious. If you had to do an overall wrestler of the year, basically choosing between Sasha Banks and Drew McIntyre, who would you choose? It was Drew. It, it, to, to me, me it would have been Drew. Yeah. He, he was, for all the reasons I said, face of the company in an incredibly difficult time. He became... He 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 has been exactly what Vince wanted Roman to be for years, and Roman found his his direction with his new character as well. So I, I think it's really worked out for both of them. But Drew, Drew is a great face of the company guy. He's he he just he's cool. I loved how much he came out in dress clothes. You know, week to week, he looks great in those and and great on the mic, great in the ring. He did everything you could want to, and he didn't he ne- he never felt stale in, in a year when it could have been really easy to feel stale. That's true. And, and you know what? Credit to booking for that as well, because mm-hmm. they kept him in feuds. Maybe some of them went on a little too long, but they were at least different and inventive. And now we have a friendship feud, which is totally different from really most of what we've seen. We did kind of see it with John Moxley and Eddie Kingston, but that's way more intense. And there was way more hatred than there is in this one. So yeah, I do think Drew McIntyre would edge Sasha Banks in that end. And, you know, we talked smack talk earlier the year. Eddie Kingston got that. What was your promo of the year? I'll give you a chance to think because I did think about it. And my promo of the year, I I don't have the audio right now to play for you. I probably should have prepared that. But if you remember back on Raw, when they were still in the Performance Center, Edge cut a promo where he was like sitting in the corner of a ring that had all white ropes. And it was like that backstage ring that they used for interviews and things like that. And he was crouched down. And those promos, both back and forth between Edge and Orton in that feud were incredible. He got a five and a half minute promo. That's right. That when he was done, I was just like, first of all, I didn't think five and a half minutes passed because I was captivated by it. 
But I just said, holy shit, did wrestling miss Edge? And I think you can look at the intensity from Eddie Kingston, the passion from some of Randy Orton's promos. We like MJF and Bailey and some of the other people who were finalists and received votes. But that individual promo from Edge, I'll tweet it, I'll tweet it by the end of the week. So you guys, if you want to know the specific one I'm talking about, that promo from Edge was my promo of the year. Yeah, that could very well be it. There were a lot of really good Orton and Edge promos in that time. I think you could probably include the the first Roman Jey Uso match where he was talking to him throughout the whole match. Mm. I think that that's a kind of a different kind of promo, but I think you could include that. But one that's really stuck with me, I don't know if I'd say it's the best of the year, but one that really stuck with me was when Heat Slater came back to Raw. <laughs> yeah, that was good too. It was because it, it was so real. It was like, I don't remember the details, but it was something like, you know, I got fired. You didn't check in on me and, and just. It, it was, it was, it was, hey, you promised me, you know, we were three MB together. If you ever became champion, you promised me I'd get a title shot. I just yeah. got fired. I have no career. The least you can do is kind of give me a shot. And they ended up having a, it ended up not being long, but it was a short kind of intense match. And that promo was great. Yeah. yeah it was and, great. It, and, it, and it helped set Heath up as he went on. I think he went to Impact uh, from there. And I don't, I don't know what he's been doing. I don't watch Impact, so I don't know. But but that one stuck out because that was like a, whoa, because that was right after a lot of wrestlers got let go and there was a lot of uh, frustration in the wrestling community about it. And for, for WWE to address that head on by bringing Heath Slater back to do this promo and for Heath willing to do that to help his friend, uh, you know, it was just, it was it was a little edgy in that sense. And I I, I thought Heath absolutely nailed it. And I thought it was a really good promo. I wanted them to have a longer match because I was like, they got me fired up and into this thing. But uh, that was a really, that was that's one of the promos I'll always remember from this year. I did not think we were going to close the show talking about Heath Slater, <laughs> but alas, we closed the show talking about Heath Slater. That folks is your 2020 getting over awards, AKA the meaties. Don't worry about the shirt. Worry about the meat inside the shirt. Always worry about the meat inside the shirt. And that I could have played for Biggie earlier, although we did get big meaty men slapping meat as well. I appreciate all of you who voted for the Getting Over Awards. Chris, uh, you know, taking the time all year to kind of break down WWE in particular, AEW as well, occasionally with me on this podcast. This is not the final episode, folks, of 2020. This is the penultimate episode. The final episode comes on Thursday where we break down NXT and AEW on New Year's Eve day, I guess. Those shows obviously airing tonight right as we take the Getting Over Award. So we will save the savage goodbye for our final episode of the year. But what you can do in the meantime is head on over to Twitter, follow us at Getting Overcast, and do not forget to go to Apple Podcasts. Drop a five-star rating and review to let us know how much you love this damn podcast. I appreciate all of you listening in 2020 again. We'll have one more episode for you on Thursday. But for now, the Silver King is going to leave you with just three words. Bye for now.